0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. Hey, I've got uh, three things before we jump in this morning. First, uh, just want to mention summer family adventure. Uh, so parents, specifically parents, if you've got kiddos and LifePoint kids, this summer uh, we know uh, that summertime is a little bit crazy and the schedules are a little bit crazy, but we're often afforded a little bit more time with our kiddos. And so uh, we wanna help you just make the most of the moments uh, that you have with your kiddos this summer. And so Summer Family Adventure, there's a uh, one pager back in LifePoint Kids uh, that hopefully you have already. If you don't, make sure you grab one of those today, but there's a map on the back of it and there's some adventures for your kids, some activities and events for them to go through uh, during the summer for parents, you to do that with them. All the explanations and uh, sort of instructions are on that page. There's also an activity guide. That that is back in LifePoint Kids, or you can use the QR code on that one pager to find that. But as those kids go through those events and they finish out the map each week, they can bring that back and they get like a treasure each week. I think one per week, so nothing gets too crazy, uh, but one per week. And also if you do a backpack for uh, Pack the Bus, that's available all through June, by the way, if you're buying a backpack for kiddos as we partner with United Way, your kid can bring a backpack in on Sunday and they also get uh, sort of treasures for that. They get a raffle ticket along with that. And as they fill out those, uh, do those events, they get a raffle ticket each time and it goes in for a drawing for a grand prize at the end of the summer, a family uh, pass to either COSI or the zoo to hopefully encourage you to have more time together and fun together as a family. So LifePoint kids, parents, just be aware of that. Make sure you grab that one pager on Summer Family Adventure before you leave today. Uh, Secondly, um, so I am on sabbatical starting after uh, today, actually. Uh, So I am super grateful every 10 years. Every 10 years, we afford our pastors the opportunity, if you've been full-time for 10 years, to go on sabbatical. So I'm at year 11, uh, year 10 and a half or 11, and I'm super grateful. I want to say a couple of things with this. One, it'll only be for a couple of months. I'll be back here uh, in August throughout the course of the summer. Uh, We've got folks coming in, uh, pastors coming in from our other campuses, uh, from some other churches. So you'll see uh, Dean, our lead pastor, will be teaching, and Adam Purcell and Paul from Marion, uh, and uh, leader of a missions organization. So there's a great lineup of teachers and pastors over uh, the summer. Uh, I will miss you, but I do want to say thank you. Uh, Thank you, church, for affording my family and I the opportunity to get away for the summer and to spend time together and to rest and just refocus, replenish, and and hopefully come back uh, ready for, Lord willing, uh, the next 10 years. And I would ask, uh, if you would, one, thank you. Two, would you pray for me? And for my family, for Morgan, for our kids, uh, and pray along those lines that it would be a time where we get to uh, really replenish and, and to refocus uh, and feel recharged. Um, and so just if you would, please pray for me over, over the summertime. I, I will miss you uh, and I'm tired and I'm ready for a bit of a break and I'm looking forward to it. And I don't know who's looking forward to it more, myself or Morgan, uh, to be honest. Uh, but we're going to spend some time together, just she and I, and then some time with our family. So again, thank you for affording me that opportunity as a church to be away for for some time. Uh, and then finally, uh, and this is the, the more just maybe exciting one. So I wanted to give you an update on the WOW offering. So we talked, if you were not here for the last few weeks, we went through our WOW missions series and uh, took up our missions offering uh, last week. It's the one time a year where we take up a public offering like that. And I told you guys, you know, the year before, that offering was $202,000 that week, and we were aiming at three hundred and twenty-five dollars because of all that we feel like God is calling us to do over the next year. Uh, I'm going to be honest, uh, a little moment of honesty here midweek I, when I emailed us and said hey we're at 200 and we have some ground to cover I did not think uh, we were going to make it I think the Lord maybe is looking at me and, and like you have little faith right why did you doubt so this morning we crossed three hundred and forty thousand uh, dollars and so thank you <laughs> praise God yeah let's praise the Lord for all he's doing there um, praise God Thank you for everyone who prayed through that, who sacrificed for, for the sake of giving toward that. I had a little secret goal in my mind of the Delaware campus. I think last year we were in the 60s, right? Sixty-some thousand dollars toward that offering. I thought, Lord, if we hit 100, that would be insane. So uh, this morning, we just crossed 99 this morning. And so uh, we're right there. But I just, I want to say again, um, that's, that's crazy. In a year of economic uncertainty, Uh, The fact that we have grown like that, not only here but across all campuses, I am thrilled that as we look toward the next 12 months, we do not have to pull back from any of our partnerships or what we feel like God is calling us to do, but instead we can actually increase. So thank you for your generosity in that way. Thank you for your prayers. And uh, once again, let's just praise God for all that he's doing right in the life of our church. All right, well, with all that said, we're kicking off a brand new series today. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. From that mountaintop, right, of wow offering to Ecclesiastes, right? If you know the book of Ecclesiastes, if not, you'll understand why I'm joking about that here in a moment. The big idea of the series is this, and by the way, if you're new here, all the stuff will be on the screens here for you as well. The passages this morning, but the big idea is this, that God offers a full life in an empty world. That God offers a full life in an empty world. And I think as we go through Ecclesiastes and through the book and through this series, you're going to see that statement become just more and more meaningful, more and more poignant. I love that big idea. And I think it summarizes very well what the overarching sort of purpose and point of the book of Ecclesiastes is. To show us the emptiness of the world and our pursuit of it, but ultimately to lead us to the fullness in christ ecclesiastes is an interesting book uh, to say the least it's part of a series of books in the bible that are called uh, the wisdom books or the wisdom literature the psalms the proverbs the song of solomon Uh, the book is written by someone called the teacher or the preacher it's in verse one right the teacher depending on your translation traditionally at least uh, that's often been interpreted to be solomon And uh, I'm going to take that perspective, though that may not be true for every teacher or pastor who teaches through this series. I I don't think it's of great significance whether you think it's just someone called the teacher or you think it's Solomon. But I'm going to teach from the perspective that I think it's Solomon. Uh, Today we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter as it lays out sort of the theme and the mega themes of the entire book. And I want to encourage you as we read through it just to sort of brace yourself All right, and I will try as we go through to help you understand what I think is going on here. So let's start in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Verse 2 meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Some of your translations say vanity, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do we do with that? I'm going on sabbatical, so y'all can figure it out. Let's pray, all right? Let's pray. No, seriously. So when you look at this, right, doesn't that just make you want to read the rest of the book, right? Verse 2, everything is meaningless. So it's, it's interesting. The word, the Hebrew word for meaningless is, I find this fascinating. It's used 39 times in the book, and it literally means vapor or breath. Breath, vapor, everything. Is vapor. What Solomon is doing here, what he's going to do through the whole... I think this is so key to understand. Throughout the whole book, the teacher, Solomon is going to point out the temporary nature of the things of this life. He's pointing out, he's driving it in, right? Vapor, (laughs) breath, meaningless. The temporary nature of just the things between birth and the grave. He says it's all utterly meaningless. He goes on. He's just going to make his point over and over and over. Verse 3, what do people gain? From all their labors at which they toil under the sun. Circle or highlight verse three because we're going to come back to that at the end and to that question. Another key phrase, though, there is under the sun. It's used 29 times throughout the book. And under the sun means life within the bounds of this world. And again, that's so key to understanding all that Solomon is going to say and understanding the tone of the book as he's saying, look, we're looking just from cradle to grave. Not really beyond that. Life under the sun. Life in this world, of this world, but nothing really beyond. And he says, what do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? And then he goes on. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. People live, then they die, but the earth remains. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All the streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. Here's what he's doing, right? So certain parts of the Bible point out the beauty of the created order. The beauty of creation. The psalmist does that. The heavens declare the glories of God, the psalmist says. What Solomon's doing here, he's not pointing out the beauty of the created order. He's pointing out from his what he's watching is the monotony of the created order. He's, he's sort of digging in this, man, what is the purpose of it? Sun comes up, sun goes down. Up it comes again. Streams flow down. Ocean never gets full. Wind blows this way. Wind blows that way. It's just this never-ending cycle and generate. People come, they die. As he's going to say, no one remembers. What's the point of all of it? It's the question he's kind of asking. He goes on in verse 8 and says, all things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. I'll just pause there and say some of these things are just brilliant insights into the, the way life is sometimes. All right, is this not true what he just said? The eye never has enough of seeing, and the ear never has enough of hearing. It never has its fill. What he's saying is our appetites are never truly satisfied. And I think we see this true in, in this life. If you're looking for those appetites to be satisfied in this life, you just don't find it. I mean, what do we do? We go on a vacation, we see spectacular sights, we enjoy ourselves, and we go, man, I am so satisfied. I, I just I'm good. And then you come home, and what happens? Like a couple of months later, or a couple of days later, or a couple of hours later, you're like, I really need another vacation. <laughs> it's never enough. You have a spectacular meal, and you step back from the table and you're like, oh, I never want to eat again. And then what happens? The next morning you wake up and you're like, Shh, I'm kind of hungry. There's <laughs> never enough. The eye never has its fill of seeing, the ear never has its fill of hearing. Verse 9, he says, What has. Now he gets a little less practical and a little more philosophical. He says, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, Look, This is something new. Solomon says, no, it was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. I'll give you a simplistic uh, example of what I think the teacher is saying here, right? So clothes and fashion, right? Just the never ending. When I was a kid, you know, my parents and my grandparents looked at what we were wearing and they're like, that's nice. I remember the first time I wore that, right? And as a kid, you're like, no, my generation's amazing. And we came up with this totally on our own. And you've never seen anything like this. And now I'm at the age where I'm like, oh, man, they were right. Like, it's just all sort of recycle." And listen, <clears throat> I don't think... I don't think Solomon, I don't think the teacher is saying, hey, there's nothing. There's never any innovation in fashion or design. There's never any technological innovations that actually create change in the world. Uh, he experienced that. There were uh, technological advances in Solomon's day and the teacher's day all throughout the course of human history. I don't think that's what he's saying. What I do think he's saying is at a deeper level, people don't change. And the basic realities of the world don't change. I'll give you a more poignant example than clothing. I often see people today and I hear people and to be honest, I sometimes think it. When I look at the culture around us, there's this pervasive feeling of like, man, we we've never been here before. What's happening to society? We've we've lost any sense of absolute truth, and people are just choosing for themselves whatever they think is right. You do you, live your truth you define reality for yourself that's sort of the mantras those are the mantras of our day and sometimes there's this feeling of that's totally new and listen i agree it's i mean it's concerning it's saddening to why. i don't think it's societally uh, i don't know that that can continue on i don't think uh, that's sustainable and i'm reminded from reading scripture it's not a new thing in fact 3000 years ago it's this book Called Judges, written sometime around 3,000 years ago, talking about a season of moral decay in Israel's history. And this is what, this is how the last, the last verse of the book, this is how it ends. The summary of the whole, that whole episode in Israel's life. Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You could replace the word king with absolute truth, and you'd basically have our culture. In those days, there was no absolute truth. Everyone did what they thought was right, what was right in their own eyes. Concerning, yes. New, no. <laughs> this is the condition spiritually of the human heart apart from Christ. And I, you may find that very discouraging. I guess what we should find encouraging is after the time of the judges comes the time of the king. And things get better. And one day, Jesus is returning. The king will return. And he'll make all things new. Now he goes on, the teacher goes on in verse 11. No one remembers the former generations. (laughs) And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. He's just a ball of joy, isn't he? Right? Like you read this and it just keeps... So let's just keep going. Verse 12. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun all of them are meaningless a chasing after the wind that phrase is also a phrase that's used over and over in ecclesiastes which is so i think just what a powerful visual example of he says man if you're looking for satisfaction in the things of this world it's like a chasing after the wind good luck what is crooked cannot be straightened what is lacking cannot be counted i said to myself look I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. It's like I searched it all. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. And the more knowledge, the more grief. And that's the end of chapter one. Who's excited for chapters two through 12, right? I'd love to tell you guys that, man, somewhere in chapter 2, things just turn right around. Now, eventually, at the very end of the book, he, he brings it together beautifully. But just brace yourself, because as we go through this, I mean, this is the tone. Ecclesiastes three nineteen. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. He says it in Ecclesiastes 4, Ecclesiastes 7. I got to Ecclesiastes 9, and I'm going to be honest, I laughed out loud. Because in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 7, 8, and 9, I thought, okay, here comes the turning point. We're lightening up. He says, go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. All right. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife. He's speaking right to a son Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. And I thought, there it is. All the days of this meaningless life (laughs) that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. That's the tone of the book. Until the very, very end. So we have to ask ourselves, what's going on here? What is the teacher doing? Why is this in the Bible? Why 12 chapters? I mean, are we just reading a long account of someone's midlife crisis where they're down and, and depressed in some ways? And I, I think the answer to that is emphatically no. There is a, there's a purpose for why this is in the scriptures. It causes us to wrestle. Solomon, as I'm going to say, he brings us face to face with the meaninglessness of pursuing ultimate purpose in the things of this world. I was reading my study Bible this week, and I thought the beginning of my study Bible said it so well, right? This, this idea of the key phrase being under the sun. This is what the, my study Bible said. Nearly the entire book is written from the perspective of life under the sun, from birth to death. But the author's gaze, listen to this, the author's gaze, his perspective does not pierce past the final curtain. Solomon will say that at times. He says, what happens to the soul? Does it go up? Does it go down? He can't pierce past the final curtain. He can't see beyond death. And so he can't see a reason for ultimate hope or meaning. That's what Solomon is trying to bring us face to face with. Is, Guys, if this is all there is, if it's just you, you, you're born, you live, you die, Who knows? And he says, what's the real purpose or meaning in any of it? What I find really fascinating is, I've done a, a little bit of reading, right? I enjoy apologetics. And I find it fascinating the similarities between what Solomon is saying and some of the talk of the modern secularists or atheists sort of of our day. And, and Solomon, the teacher, is not speaking from an atheistic perspective. He says, man, God is the creator. We live under in his world. But, but he is saying, right, well, what if there's nothing beyond? And what's fascinating is when you, when you read some of the, the words of, of, I would say in some ways, honest atheists and, and secularists, they, they sort of say the same thing. This is all there is. I was reading an article uh, that was interviewing uh, Richard Dawkins. So Richard Dawkins, one of the more famous atheists of our day, and the author of the article said people frequently asked, uh, ask Dawkins, why do you bother getting up in the morning if the meaning of life boils down to such a cruel, pitiless fact that we exist merely to help rec- replicate a string of molecules? So he's saying, what, why, why get up in the morning if all, if all we're doing is just live, replicate your DNA, reproduce, and then die? As he puts it, so this is Dawkins' response, They say to me, how can you bear to be alive if everything is so cold and empty and pointless? Well, At an academic level, I think it is. But that doesn't mean you can live your life like that. That's a fascinating statement. At an academic level, I think it is. But that doesn't mean you can live your... Lots of questions today. One answer, he says, is that I feel privileged to be allowed to understand why the world exists and why I exist and I want to share it with other people. Here's my translation of what he just said. Yeah, there's no ultimate meaning since there's no life beyond the grave. That is true at an academic level, but nobody can live like that. So we just have to choose to have meaning in some ways, do the things that we do. We should feel privileged that we exist and that we can understand some of how the world works and we should wanna share that with others. But I, I mean, if I'm honest, I kind of find that to be inconsistent, right? I mean, I'm glad for the honesty of, yeah, I mean, I think at an academic level that's true, but it seems a little inconsistent or incoherent to say, yes, I think that's true, but, you know, nobody can live like that. Why do we think that is? Why is it that deep down we go, no, there has to be more than this? Our purpose in life can't just be to live, reproduce, and then die. There's something in us. The scriptures would say God has set eternity in our hearts, But the author of ecclesiastes sounds strangely similar to that he says right if that's true yeah eat drink be merry and then die but he also forces us to be honest with ourselves and says guys this is all there is if it's just between birth and death and in all the billions and billions of years you and i got about 70 to 90 to live it up and then he says that's why he declares utterly meaningless what's the ultimate point in all of it and he's going to spend the next 11 chapters Doing a deep dive, saying, guys, I'm going to take you along this journey with me. That I pursued, I looked for it everywhere under the sun. Money, power, sex, accumulation of things, I mean, uh, achievement, success, uh, uh, fame, acclamation. I built a whole kingdom. I looked for it everywhere. I didn't leave any stone unturned, Solomon's going to say. And I came up empty-handed, chasing after the wind. I searched for it everywhere, and I couldn't find it. So let me ask again, what do we do with this? What do we do with the book of Ecclesiastes? I think what we do is we look at it in light of the entire scriptures, and specifically in light of the gospel. I think Solomon does such an amazing job of disabusing us of the notion that you're going to find an ultimately satisfying answer to the purpose of your life in this world. But what that does is cause us to go, well, then what else? (laughs) There's got to be more than right? If it's utterly meaningless and you're saying you've searched out everything, I mean, what he's doing is really getting to some of us who are going, I'm walking that road right now and I'm coming up empty. I feel like I'm chasing the wind. What's more? Where is it? And it's almost like Solomon asks the question, but Christ answers it. It's like the book of Ecclesiastes stirs that up and goes, so, where is it? And then the rest of the scriptures are pointing us forward till finally the emphatic answer in Jesus, where Jesus says, No, there is meaning, is found in a person, the work and the life and the death and the resurrection of the Son of God. That's why I said, Take note of verse 3, right? Because there's a similarity here between this question and a question that Jesus asks in Mark 8. Ecclesiastes 1.3. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? What does it profit a man to gain the world, right? That's Mark 8, by the way. Mark eight. That question, strangely reminiscent of what Jesus says in Mark 8. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Almost the same question that the teacher asks in Ecclesiastes 1.3, but note a key difference here. Similarity, Solomon's going, what does it gain us? Nothing, not ultimately. And the similarity is Jesus says, yeah, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Nothing. And yet the key difference is Solomon can't see past this curtain. He can't see into eternity. And so his gaze is limited. Christ speaks openly and clearly about the existence of the soul and its eternality. Jesus speaks openly about, man, you got a soul. Notice he said that. He didn't just say under the sun. He said, what does it profit you to gain the world but lose your soul? Because your soul exists into eternity. And you will spend forever either still under the wrath of God in sin, separated from Him, which we call hell, or you will spend forever washed clean by the blood of Jesus shed at the cross for you in right relationship to God the Father because you've trusted Jesus Christ, His Son, and led by His Holy Spirit. And that means your life And everything you do has eternal meaning. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said this, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And that abundant life is not limited. Jesus isn't saying there, I want you to have just a really full life under the sun. I do think he wants us to have a full life under the sun, but I think he's speaking more than that, beyond the grave. Because in John 3, verse 36, Jesus tells us this, whoever believes in the sun has what bring it up here on the screens whoever believes in the son has eternal life whoever does not obey the son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him your soul let me come back to that again your soul Jesus says it openly clearly your soul is eternal and he says believe in me trust me and you have eternal life what I mean if this is true guys This is where we get right beyond the bounds of what Solomon could see. If this is true, your decisions today matter, and they matter for far longer than just today. As the great philosopher and theologian Russell Crowe said in the completely accurate documentary Gladiator, (laughs) right? He said, what we do in life echoes in eternity. What we do in life echoes in eternity. And I, I don't often quote those movie lines, but that's, that's a true one. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says it this way. The catechism is a Q&A, right? They ask questions and then answer them, a way of originally really teaching us and teaching even children. And it says it this way, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's why you and I made. And so if I were to say it this way, meaninglessness does not get the last word. Tim Keller, who recently passed away from cancer just a month or so ago, uh, a couple of months ago, spoke to a group of college students a few years ago and he told them, if this world is just a closed system, if this is all there is, then yeah, we can agree with the teacher. There's, There's no ultimate meaning. No ultimate purpose, but I love the way he said it to those college students. He said, guys, the God of the universe has punched a hole in the roof of this world, <laughs> and he has placed through it his son amongst you and me. Jesus gets the last word, not meaninglessness. Jesus, the word made flesh, who stepped into time, into space, into this life, took on our suffering, bore our sins at the cross, and then rose from the grave that we might have new and eternal life. Life. That's, and, and think about that. Think about what that means. If Christ beat the grave, if he defeated the final enemy, that's, that's the veil that Solomon couldn't see past. That's the curtain, right? That's, the, that's what he couldn't see beyond. But if Jesus really came and Jesus really lived and Jesus really died and Jesus really rose again, then that veil has been lifted. And beyond it, through Christ, but only through Christ, is life and beauty, and eternality. The soul goes on forever. And listen, if you're here today and you know and love Jesus, my hope is that you don't, you'll take a hard look at what Solomon says, but it doesn't lead you to despair. It leads you to greater joy and celebration of Jesus. Thank you. I have eternal life and I have purpose. Everything I do, we talked about it all throughout the mission series, everything I do matters, not just in this life, but into eternity. I get to follow my king, redeemed by him, be with him and enjoy him forever, and he's got purposeful work for you and me here. We ought to celebrate that, be encouraged by that, and I hope that increasingly you live your life for him. And then others of us, Maybe you're here today, and honestly, you resonate with what the teacher says. Your life right now, you are running down all those lanes, or have run down all those lanes. Cale, I've chased for it with money. I've looked for it with power. I've looked for it with success. I've looked for it in relationships or romance or even family. Good things, but at the end of the day, I feel like I'm chasing the wind, and I can't find anything that lasts. No firm foundation on which to build my life. What's the point? The point is Christ. And Jesus said, look, right now, apart from him, you are separated from God under his wrath because of sin. But the good news of the gospel is that God so loved you, he made a way. Jesus took your sin on himself at the cross. And today, today, you don't have to leave here still feeling meaningless about life. That can change for you right now. If you will turn from sin, trust Jesus with your life. Be washed clean and start walking forward in the purpose, the eternal purpose that God has given to your life. Let me pray for you. Father, there are some right now who are living out what Solomon is talking about. And the different pursuits, Lord, the pursuits we're gonna talk about over the next seven weeks, the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of achievement, the pursuit of fame, and God ultimately underneath it, the pursuit of significance. Lord, there are people sitting in this room who have run down all those lanes and have come away going, yep, it feels like a vapor, like a breath. I tried to grab hold of it and what I came up with was chasing the wind. Lord, I pray that your words through Solomon today would lift that veil, would unblind eyes, bring folks to the realization that in this life under the sun we're not going to find what we're looking for but in Christ there is forgiveness there is new life and there is purpose and meaning for every day every year every decade until you call us home for all eternity If that's you today, you came in here today not knowing Jesus, not walking with him, I want to give you a moment to pray. I don't know where you're coming from or what God has been doing in your life, but maybe you're at a place today where you are ready to surrender. And I think that's a great word to understand where do you need to be in order to place your faith in Christ, at the place of surrender, to say to Jesus, I don't want to run anymore. So I want to give you the moment to pray right now. You pray with me. You pray in your own words. Lord, today I am done running, except to run to you. I have looked for meaning in everything else. I have left no stone unturned, but today I just turn to you. And Jesus, I ask forgiveness of my sin, and I place my faith in you. And I thank you for the eternal life and the eternal purpose that you offer me. I wanna start enjoying you today. And God, there are others of us, many of us perhaps that have found that meaning and significance in you. And I pray God that today we would rejoice in that. We would rejoice in you. And Father, maybe some of us have lost sight a little bit of what it is you've called us to do in this life. God, free us from distraction Help us to prioritize rightly. And God, may we enjoy you more today than we did yesterday. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.